find your seat, and that's enough fellowship. Say amen. All right. Ruth chat. No, no. Stand up. Stand up. I said find your seat, not sit in it. Ruth. Ruth, Ruth chapter number two. I tell you what, y'all too eager to sit down now. Dog. Go on. Ruth chapter number two. We're going to finish up. Who needs a lesson? Who forgot to get a lesson tonight? You come in, forgot all about getting a lesson. Raise your hand. And we're going to run and get you one. we got a few right here. Who needs a lesson? Raise your hand real high if you need a lesson. Uh, you're no longer needed. You're no longer needed. You're, you're good. All right. Oh, please. All right. How many of y'all are enjoying Ruth so far? Man, it's been great. We have got a, a, a oh, my goodness. It is going to be packed tonight. Uh, we, we, we're going to do just a little bit of culture study before we go into the chapter so you will better understand the chapter. Sometimes we use words like kinsman, redeemer, leverite marriage, and all these things, and a lot of people think, what in the world are you talking about? So we're going to talk about that and, and deal with the culture, deal with the custom and the, and the uh, Israeli law at that time, and then that will help us understand the story better. Because the better you understand the story, the more you understand what Jesus has done for you. And the more you understand what Jesus has done for you, it's incredible. Say amen. amen. Now, let's do this. Uh, Ruth chapter number 2. Uh, Ruth chapter number 2. Last week, uh, last week we, we met a man by the name of Boaz. This is a very wealthy man. This is a man who is kin to Naomi. Uh, he is a kinsman to Naomi. Uh, uh, he is wealthy, he has high standing in the community, uh, he is a man that everybody thinks highly of, and we met him for the first time in this study. Now, through that, we know that, that Ruth went into the fields to glean. Uh, we studied last week that she went in, and, and according to the, uh, the law that God gave Israel, you made one pass as you were reaping your field, as you were reaping your harvest. You made one pass in that harvest, and you left whatever was left or whatever you missed, you left it for widows and, and poor and those poverty-stricken to come in and glean the scraps or the leftovers behind you. Say amen if you know what I'm talking about. Okay, so uh, Ruth goes into the, the field of Boaz, and she's there gleaning, trying to support her, and Naomi trying to make a living, trying to get by, trying to survive, and she catches the eye of the owner of the field. She catches the eye of Boaz, the master of the harvest, the lord of the harvest. And we know as the story goes and as the chapter goes that uh, that, that Boaz initiates contact with, with Ruth and says, stay in my field. Uh, don't go to any other field. I want you to stay here. And then uh, we know that he, he initiates contact when they had dinner that day. Uh, matter of fact, even by his own hand, he gave her food and said, look, when you're thirsty, you go ahead. I'll get the guys to draw you water. Uh, when, you just stay here, and we will take care of you. Amen? And then after she turned and went to go back to work after dinner, uh, he told the men, he said, you make sure and leave handfuls of purpose for her because, oh, there was something stirring in his heart for Ruth. Then this is where we're at, all right? We're at the end of the day, the end of the day, the end of the work day, and now Ruth is coming home to Naomi. If you're with me, say amen. The Bible says in verse number 18 of chapter number 2, and she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she brought forth and gave it to her that she had reserved after she was sufficed. In other words, when she ate dinner, 
and ate the food that Boaz had to offer. She kept some after she was already full, and now she's offering that to her mother-in-law. And her mother-in-law said unto her, Where hast thou gleaned today? Where wroughtest thou? Because what she had was an unusual amount for a gleaner, for somebody who was picking up scraps. She had a little more than what was a usual deal. And where wroughtest thou? Blessed be he that did take knowledge of thee. And she showed her mother-in-law with whom she had wrought and said, The man's name with whom I wrought today is Boaz. Boaz. Now, this is a bitter woman. She's a bitter woman. And now her attitude completely changes when she hears that name. And Naomi said unto her, Daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said unto her, The man is near kin unto us, one of our next kinsmen. And Ruth the Moabite said, he, shall, uh, he said un, unto me also, Thou shalt keep fast by my young men until they have ended all my harvest. And Naomi said unto Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that thou go out with his maidens, that they meet not uh, thee, or excuse me, they meet thee not in any other field. So she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean under the, uh, the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest and dwelt with her mother-in-law. So here they are through the whole harvest. She stays in the fields of Boaz. That brings us to chapter 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? Now is not Boaz of our kindred, with whose maidens thou wast? Behold, he winnoweth barley tonight in the threshing floor. Wash thyself, therefore, anoint thee, and put thy raiment upon thee. Get thee down to the floor, but make not thyself known unto the man until he shall have done eating and drinking. And it shall be when he lieth down that thou shalt mark the place wherein he shall lie, and thou shalt go in and uncover his feet and lay thee down, and he will tell thee what thou shalt do. And, he sa and she said unto her, All that thou sayest unto me I will do. She went down into the floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law bade her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of corn. And she came softly and uncovered his feet and laid her down. And it came to pass at midnight that the man was afraid and turned himself. And behold, a woman laid his feet. And he said, Who art thou? And she answered, I am Ruth, thine handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. And he said, Blessed be thou, the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, inasmuch as thou followest not young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, fear not, I will do to thee all that thou requires, for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. And now it is true that I am thy near kinsman, albeit there is a kinsman nearer than I. Tarry this night, and it shall be in the morning, that if he will perform unto thee the part of the kinsman, well... Let him do the kinsman's part. But if he will not do the part of the kinsman to thee, then will I do the part of a kinsman to thee, as the Lord liveth, lie down until the morning. And she laid his feet until the morning, and she rose up before anyone could know another. And he said, Let it not be known that a woman came into the floor. Also, here it is, bring the veil that thou hast upon thee, and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six measures of barley, and laid it on her, and she went into the city. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for just everything. Thank you for everything. Thank you for salvation. Lord, thank you for forgiveness and mercy and kindness. And God, tonight we need you to anoint your word. We need you to just illuminate it, open our minds to understand the truths and the gold that we find in the well of your word. God, I pray that your will be done. Help us and give us what we stand in need of. In Jesus' name we all pray. And all God's people say it. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Real quickly, 
real quickly, I want to, I want to cover a little bit of a cultural study, uh, uh, the traditional study, so that you can really understand uh, the depth of truth that's in this story. First, let's look at the law of redemption. When we say kinsman redeemer, when we say kinsman redeemer, uh, Connie Max, good to see you too, bud. Amen. All right. When we say kinsman redeemer, what are we talking about? What was the law of redemption in that day? When property, when property is sold in our culture, the title is usually passed on in perpetuity to the buyer. However, Israel's land was granted. It was granted. Look in the verse, Leviticus 25. When God took the nation of Israel into the land of Israel and promised them the promised land, uh, when they crossed over with Joshua, y'all know Joshua divided the land unto the people. If y'all remember that, say amen. Joshua divided the land to the people. And this is God's instructions to the people. In Leviticus 25, 23, right there in your notes, the land shall not be sold forever, for the land is mine. It's hard to sell something that don't belong to you, amen? God is saying the land is mine. For ye are strangers and sojourners with me, and all the land of your possession ye shall grant a redemption for the land. If thy brother be waxen poor and has sold away some of his possession, and if any of his kin come to redeem it, then shall he redeem that which his brother sold. Now what does that mean? When Boaz left town, y'all remember when the famine was in, came into being, hey, they left and went to Moab. Y'all remember? They left and went to Moab, sold their property, sold what they had, and left. All right? But as God's command is, it always stays in the family. So you say, how could he sell it if it's supposed to stay in the family? Watch what the notes say. In the days of, uh, 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 let's see. However, Israel's land was granted in the days of Joshua to the tribes to be retained within the family. In ancient Israel, land wasn't sold as we are used to. Since God was the real landowner, Israel was simply a tenant under the conditions of obedience. When land was sold, what the buyer received was only the use of the land, not a clear title. There were conditions under which a kinsman of the seller could redeem the land back to the original family, and these conditions were typically noted on the outside of the scroll defining the transaction. Now what that means is when Elimelech left town, Elimelech and Naomi left town, they sold what they had. In their poverty, in their, in their, their hope of survival, whatever that might have been, uh, Naomi lost it and didn't have the ability to, bank, to, to redeem it or buy it back because her husband is now dead. So... Uh, but she, it's, it's a possibility if she has a kinsman redeemer. If she has somebody that's near of kin to her that has the ability to purchase it back and bring it back into the original family. Does that make sense? Say amen. Now let's look at the Leverite marriage dealing with uh, the responsibility of Ruth being married to Boaz. The law of the Leverite marriage. This was an unusual procedure to assure the continuation of a family in the event of the death of a husband without issue. If a widow had no son, she could request the next of kin to take her and raise children to continue the family bloodline. We find this in Deuteronomy 25, verse 5. It says, If brethren dwell together and one of them die and have no child, the wife of the dead shall not marry without unto a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go in unto her and take her unto him to wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother unto her. And it shall be that the firstborn which she beareth shall succeed in the name uh, of his brother which is dead, that his name be not put out of Israel. In other words, a near kin, a near kin would take her to be his wife to keep the name going in the nation of Israel. So if that 
All of that background makes sense. Say amen. So here now we have a story of a widow and her daughter-in-law, and now uh, they have lost the land. They are living in poverty. They are living without, and they find uh, Naomi hears that there is a man that said, I want you to stay in my field. What's this man's name? His name is Boaz. She gets all excited. Her, her attitude totally changes. I mean, she's bitter. She's mad. She's angry. God has done this to me. God has done that to me. God has sent me uh, out full and brought me back empty. But now she says, bless the Lord. He's a kinsman. He's a kinsman. He has the right. He has the ability. He could help us. And now, here she is coming into chapter 3. And, and, and I want to I teach you a little while on the subject, just a closer walk with thee. Just a closer walk with thee. Here in this chapter, how many of y'all know there's, there's different levels, there's different levels of relationship in everybody's life? There's different levels of relationship. I have some acquaintances. I have some acquaintances. I, I kind of know them. I, I can speak to them and be cordial because I am acquainted with them. I don't know them real good, but I know of them, and, and, and I'm acquainted with them. But then I have some friends, and that's a different level. That's a different level of relationship. And then I have close friends that's at a different level of relationship than just friends. But then I have good friends, and then I have best friends and then listen ultimately the 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 the, the highest level uh, of of relationship is the intimacy between lovers who are married together and God has made them one doesn't get no higher than that but there are different levels of relationship the same principle applies to Christianity you can be saved and be at a different level with God than other people when you get saved, that doesn't automatically put you on the same plane with God. We start, hey, we're all equal in the sight of God, but we're not all in the same place. There are people that are at different levels. There are people who are closer to God than others. There are people that are at a different level in their relationship with God. And I want to encourage you and everybody in this room, do not settle for where you are right now because there is always more. There is always more. Don't settle for, listen, the scraps and the leftovers in the field when you can be sitting at his feet. Somebody say amen. Listen, let's not settle. She says, listen, she is surviving right now. Ruth is surviving right now in her present level of relationship. She is surviving with the leftovers. She is surviving with the scraps from the field. She is surviving with the extra blessings. Extra blessings, those handfuls of purpose. And it is getting her by, but Ruth wants more. And I hope to God you came tonight because you want more. I'm not satisfied where I am with God. I'm not satisfied with what I have with God. I'm not satisfied with my walk with God. I'm not satisfied with my relationship with God. I'm not satisfied with where I am. I want more. I want more. I desire more. I'm praying for more. I want to be closer to God today than I've ever been before in my life. And I want to be closer to God tomorrow than I am today. I want a closer walk with Him. And here we see some things that you need to understand. You need to understand, number one, when it, come, when it, when it comes to our, 
our walk with God, when it comes to our relationship with God, the level that we are at, there's some things you need to understand. Number one, write this down. Number one, we see the recognition of interest. You need to understand, everybody needs to understand, even the lost people need to understand that God is interested in you. God is interested in you. He desires to have a relationship with you. He desires for you to sit at his table. He desires for you to know him personally. He desires to have an intimate relationship and a walk with you. We do not have a God who is high and lofty and cannot be reached. We have a God who desires to walk with you and talk with you and fellowship with you. We have a desire, listen, a God who desires to hear and answer your prayer. We have a God who wants everything for you. Somebody say amen. Listen, you need to understand he is interested in you. He has an idea for you. He has a purpose for you. He desires your fellowship. And we see, we see the recognition of interest first off A in the initiative he showed. Look in chapter 2 verse 8. Chapter 2 verse 8. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not my daughter? Go not to glean in any other field. Neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let not thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go unto the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Watch this. Not only that, not only that, but he says down in verse number 14. Verse 14. And Boaz said unto her, At mealtime come thou hither, eat of the bread, Dip the morsel in the vinegar. And she said, by the way, he's asking for a date. Say amen. He says, and she sat beside the reapers, and he reached her parched corn, and she did eat, and was sufficed. I'm glad when we hang out with God, we'll always leave satisfied. Amen. And when, oh, I feel preach coming on right there. And when she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Glean, uh, let her even glean among the sheaves and reproach her not. And let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her. Can y'all see the initiative that he showed? We In chapter 3, it looks like that, that Ruth is making the first step. It looks like Ruth is taking the initiative. But before Ruth ever knew who he was, listen, Boaz knew who Ruth was. And he took the initiative. The Bible says we love God because he first loved me. But God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for me. He was looking for me when I wasn't looking for him. When he, listen, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. I was in his heart. I was in his mind. And he took the initiative to come to me when I couldn't go to him. When Mephibosheth was crippled in his house and he couldn't do nothing about his situation, there was a king sitting on the throne in the palace who was thinking about him. And when Mephibosheth couldn't get to King David, King David came to him. Say, Amen. I want you to see the initiative he showed. I don't want you to go nowhere else. Honey, I want you to have lunch with me. I'm telling you what, I thank God that God came to me and he wants you in his life. Oh, I hope you understand that God desires to be with you. He made man 
put them in the garden and the Bible says he walked in the cool of the day and had sweet, wonderful fellowship with them till sin came into the garden. God desires to be with you. God desires to have a relationship with you. God desires to be your best friend. Amen. Listen, we see the initiative he showed in verse number 8. But then we see the invitation he shared. The invitation he shared. He said, don't go nowhere else. You just stay with me. The Bible says in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Revelation twenty-two seventeen. And the Spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. Let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Can you see his invitation? Listen, he is showing a desire to be with Ruth. Can y'all see his pursuit? The Redeemer is pursuing a bride. The man is pursuing the woman. That's the way it's supposed to be. Ain't happening nowadays, it's the other way around. It don't need to be that way. Y'all with me? He's saying, I want you. My mind is on you. I'm thinking about you. I'm thinking about you. Well, David said it well when he said, when I consider the heavens and the stars and the works of your hands, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And what that means is, who are we that we're on your mind? And you think about us. We see, we see the recognition of interest. How many of y'all believe by now that, that, that Boaz is interested in Ruth? Oh, yeah. Now I want you to see number two. See, we, we have in chapter two, we have Ruth gleaning in the field, working in the field, toiling in the field. And she's getting blessings. She, she's receiving blessings. There's a, there's a measure of blessing there is to doing. I'm not going to stand here and say that, that God doesn't bless service and God doesn't bless people that are hard workers because it does. And she's receiving blessing, but there's more. Now we find she has, she has another agenda in mind. And you know, I was reading this story, and God, this morning, this morning when I went to leave the house, God kind of whispered in my ear, and see, Naomi, Naomi, if you'll read the chapter, Naomi says, Ruth, this is what you need to do. Now, why would, why would Naomi do that? What would inspire or instigate Naomi to get Ruth to go do what she did? Because Naomi knew the law. Naomi knew what it meant to be a kinsman redeemer. Naomi knew what the law says and what the law provided. And basically what I'm trying to say is she knew the word. And sometimes in order for a baby Christian to go to the next level, they need to hang out with somebody who knows the word. And sometimes somebody who knows the word can help you reach a place that you didn't even know was available.
<laughs> Ruth's a Moabite. She don't have a clue. She don't know about that. She don't know about the kinsman redeemer. She don't know about the law. She don't know that there is property available and there is opportunity available to her. But all oh, the people that know the book do. And if you want to move to another level in your Christian life, I would advise you to hang out with people who know the book. Or people who are trying to get something out of the book. Amen. It's not in your notes and I won't charge you for that one. Amen. Watch this. I want, I want that kind of relationship, don't you? Here's the deal. It don't cost anything to come to Christ for salvation. It don't. She didn't have to do anything to go in the field to work. But now she's wanting something deeper. Now she's wanting more of a relationship with the Redeemer. And I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, you're here tonight because you're wanting that. But if you're wanting a closer walk with God, I'm going to just tell you this tonight. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. It doesn't cost anything to come to him in salvation. But if you want a closer walk, and you want that level that not many people ever get to, it's going to cost you. Say, preacher, what are you getting at? Number two, I want you to see the requirements of involvement. The requirements of involvement. What's it take? What's it take? The Bible says in verse 3, Naomi knew. Naomi says, this is what you need to do. Verse number 3, what's the first word? Help me now. What's the first word? Wash thyself. Two things I want to share with you in this, in this truth. I want you to see the preparation requirement. There's so many people trying to run into the presence of God and think they're going to get something from God or they're going to have God's touch and God's presence when they, they have not prepared themselves. Can't just run to God any old way for a tight relationship. It's amazing, it's amazing to me the people that, that run around all week long like a yard dog and run around in sin and run around in, in stupidity and run around doing things they know that is against the word of God and they want to run in here thinking they're just going to feel the presence of God. That ain't going to work. Before she ever went to him, before she ever presented herself to him for a closer walk and a closer relationship, the first thing that Naomi said is you're going to have to wash yourself. You're going to have to wash yourself. If we want to enter into a deep relationship with our Lord, we must cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Whenever we sin, we must pray, wash me as, as David did. Psalms 51 is the prayer of repentance, the prayer of confession, the prayer of forgiveness that David prayed to God after he was confronted by Nathan uh, uh, when he sinned with Bathsheba and committed adultery and then committed murder. He comes to God in forgiveness and a broken spirit and a broken heart. And he says, oh, wash me, wash me with the hyssop, wash me, and listen, cleanse me from all of the filthiness wash me forgive me 
And when we, when we sin, we come to God and we ask him to wash us. But, now listen, catch this part. But sometimes God says to us, wash yourselves. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean, Isaiah 1.16. When, when we seek forgiveness, God washes the record clean, 1 John 1, 1.9. It says, but if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But watch this. But God will not do for us what we must do for ourselves. Only we can put out of our lives those things that defile us. We know what they are. It might mean cleaning out our library, our CD collection, the magazine rack, or perhaps the TV viewing schedule. We must separate ourselves from whatever or whoever defiles us and grieves the Father. What does that mean? He says, come out from among them, be ye separate, saith the Lord. We all know those things that are in our life that's hindering us from walking close to God. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. What am I saying? I'm saying God is holy, holy, holy. Listen, there are four beasts around the throne crying day and night, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And he is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And if we're going to walk with him, if we're going to have fellowship with him, if we're going to have a closer relationship with him, we have to walk in the light as he is in the light. You can't, listen, the problem with most Christians is not that they're walking in darkness. It's not that they're, listen, running around with another person. It's not that they're shutting down the bar. It's not that they're robbing banks. It's not that they're walking in darkness. They just don't mind a little stroll in the shade. God's not in the shade. God's not in the darkness. God's not in the shade. He's in the light. He's pure. He's holy. And he says, wash yourselves. He says, listen, be ye holy, for I am holy. Boy, I tell you what, I'm feeling just a little convicted right there where we need to just stop a minute and say, God, help me to be right. Oh, God, help me to be holy. Help me to get those things out of my life because we all have them. Nobody better look at nobody else in this room. We all know what's in our heart. Oh, God, help us to be what we're supposed to be so we can have fellowship with you and we can walk with you and we can be close to you. Because, oh, God, we desire a closer walk with you. And if we're going to have that closer walk, we got to get clean. She washed, but then the Bible says, Naomi said, wash thyself therefore and anoint thee. In my Bible, I underlined wash thyself and then I skipped and I underlined anoint thee. That's the second step to coming to God. Not only do we have to be clean, but she anointed herself. Eastern people use fragrant oils to protect and heal their bodies to make themselves pleasant to others because they didn't really have the facilities like we have today. Are y'all with me? So they used a lot of anointing oil because of, y'all know, body odor, fragrant, you know, that type of thing. And, and, And they would use that so they wouldn't offend other people around them. Anointing oil speaks of the presence and the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. All believers have received the anointing of the Spirit. While here on earth, Jesus lived his life and did his work through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. If the spotless Son of God needed the Spirit's power, how much more do we? 
How much more do we? Do we dare pray in the energy of the flesh when the Spirit is present to assist us? Do we try to witness for Christ without asking the Spirit to help us? Can we fellowship with our Lord and His Word apart from the ministry of the Spirit of God? Hey, can we sing like we need to sing without the anointing of God on it? Can we preach like we need to preach without the anointing of God on it? Can we teach like we need to teach without the anointing of God on it? That's the problem. That's why churches in America are dying today. They're drying up on the vine and they're falling apart and they don't even have a clue what's going wrong or what if there is anything wrong. If the Holy Spirit was taken out they just keep on doing business just like they always had because they don't have the touch of God on it when the touch of God on it you can't explain it when the, when the, when when God is moving in a situation it, listen if you can't explain it it ain't God man we need to have the anointing we need to have the anointing we need to be filled with the spirit God gave you the Holy Ghost the moment you got saved. He put the Holy Spirit down inside of you. But I'm telling you, we need to be filled every day with the Holy Spirit. There's different times through the book of Acts that they did great feats for God. But every single time, it said they were filled with the Holy Ghost of God. And we need that anointing. We need that unction. We need that touch. Not only... Did she wash? She anointed herself. Then the Bible says she put raiment upon her. She changed her clothes. Listen, she changed from the sorrowing and grieving clothes of a widow to one of expectancy. One that was looking for a husband. In Scripture, clothing carries a spiritual meaning. After they had sinned against God, our first parents tried to cover themselves, but only the Lord could forgive them and clothe them acceptably. And he had to shed blood to do it. Salvation is pictured as a change of clothes. And now watch this. I underline this, and you ought to put stars beside it so you'll pay attention to this sentence. Christian living means taking off the grave clothes of the old life and putting on the grace clothes of the new life. We can't come into God's presence in our own righteousness. I, I, I don't have the ability to come to God because I've been good. It's not my goodness. It's not my ability. It's not my righteousness because my righteousness is as filthy rags in God's eyes. But I can come because of Jesus. Amen. We can only come in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. If we are obedient to his will and seek to please him, then our garments will be white according to Revelation 19.8. But if we sin, we must confess our sins and seek his cleansing. If you want to enter into a deeper relationship and fellowship with your Lord, then Ecclesiastes says, let your garments always be white and let your head lack no oil. What am I saying? I'm saying this. Let's spend some time getting ready. It may be what we do Monday through Saturday that changes what happens on Sunday. It's going, to be, it's, going to, it's, it's, it's going to be real hard to stay up on Saturday night watching Saturday Night Live and all this vulgarity and then come in here and sing uh, uh, What a Friend We Have in Jesus on Sunday. Amen. I'm telling you, you we, we're going to have to get that. Everything that happens through, worship, worship is more than just coming here and going through a service. Worship is more than just coming here and going through a ri ritualistic form of, of singing and preaching and praying and that. Oh, we've, we've worshipped today. No, worship is how you live your life. 
How you live your life every single day of the week is you worshiping Him. When you put Him first, when you live as He has inquired and asked you to live, when you do what He's asked you to do, you're worshiping Him. He says, why do you say you love me and don't do what I say? Are we willing to change? Are we willing to wash? Are we willing to be clean? Are we willing to come to Him and keep a short account? Nobody's going to be without mistakes. Nobody's going to be without failures. Nobody's going to be without sins. But I guarantee you this, we can keep a short account. As soon as the Holy Spirit convicts us of a sin, we ought to get down on our knees and say, God, please forgive me of that. That attitude, that word, that look, that, 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 that word that was said, whatever it might be, so we walk in the light. Now, some of us are going to leave here thinking, oh, that's impossible. I won't never be able to do that. No, it's possible. It's possible. But we got to want it. How bad do you want it? How bad do you want it? Listen, we see her preparation, but then I want you, this is, this is really good right here, guys. I'm telling you, this is good stuff. We see her presentation. We see her presentation. Before she came into his presence, it's very significant what she did. But then when she got in his presence, it's even more significant what she did. Let me explain. Let me explain what happened. Boaz is in the winnowing floor. After the harvest is over, there was a place usually on a hill, uh, usually in a place where there could be a breeze and they would take the wheat and they would take the crop and they would they would crush it and 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 walk home. Sometimes they would take an oxen and walk across it and break it up. And then they would take it, they would take it and they would scoop it up and throw it in the air. And the wind would take it and blow it, and the product that you're looking for, the wheat, y'all with me? It would be there, and then the chaff would blow farther. And usually when they were through, there'd be two piles. Y'all ever, ever remember Psalms 1? The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff, which the wind driveth away. There's no substance to it. Y'all with me? And so now they have this, they have this product, they have their harvest, they have what they uh, were there to grow and they take to the market, but before they could take it to the market, most of the time the owner of the field, the Lord of the harvest, would sleep there with the, the harvest to keep it from being stolen. Y'all with me? They would have a celebration, it's harvest time. Uh, uh, in other words, it's kind of like this, it was payday. Everybody gets excited at payday. They would usually have a celebration. They would usually have a party. They would usually rejoice because the Bible wants, and, and God says to rejoice when God's been good to us. And so here they have these festivities, and Naomi tells Ruth, said, now listen, when he goes and lays down, when he goes and lays down, you go present yourself to him. Now watch what happens. He's there asleep. He's there asleep at the floor. He's there asleep and, and at the winnowing floor. And, uh, and uh, uh, everybody, everybody's asleep. And she comes to him and takes uh, his garment and uncovers his feet. She comes to his feet. His feet. And presents herself at his 
there's something very significant about that hymn. That hymn represented his authority. They would sow, they would sow insignias and they would sow uh, uh, material into that hymn and that hymn uh, represented who he was and the authority that he had. Are y'all with me? Kind of like the stripes on a uniform, if you will. And, it, and that's, why, that's why it's so significant when you read where, where David cut the hem of Saul's garment and why God smote the heart of David for what he did. And not only that, but when the woman with the issue of blood came and touched the what of Jesus' garment? The hem, the place of authority. And here she presents herself to him at his feet. At his feet. So why is that significant? There's a, there's a woman in the Bible that we find uh, in the New Testament that, that was very close to Jesus. Matter of fact, uh, uh, Mary knew Jesus like nobody else knew Jesus. Mary was more uh, 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 intimately acquainted with Jesus than anybody. She knew Jesus better than the disciples knew Jesus. She knew Jesus better than John knew Jesus who would lay his head on the chest just to hear the heartbeat of Christ. She knew him like nobody else knew him. You say, how do you know that? Because the Bible says when she came to anoint his feet, they were critical of what she was doing and they criticized what she was doing. And Jesus said this, leave her alone. She has done this unto my burial she was the only one out of all of them that understood the teaching of Calvary and the teaching of the cross and what Jesus was fixing to have to do and go and be buried she knew him better than anybody but why is that because just about every time you find Mary in the word of God she is at the feet of Jesus we find Mary, the Bible says Mary is at his feet hearing his word y'all remember when her, her sister got mad at her Martha's working in the kitchen, but Mary is out there. She is waiting and, listen, just hearing the word of God, hearing the truth from the master, hearing what he has to say. But then you find Mary again at his feet weeping when her brother died. Do y'all remember? She came to Jesus and fell at his feet. Her, her sister Martha came to his face and, and confronted him and said, if you had been here, my brother had not died. If you had only been here, he would have been okay. And she gets a lecture about the resurrection. She gets a lecture about who Jesus really is. But when Mary ran out there and fell at his feet and said the same exact thing that Martha did, he said, take me where he is. Show me where you've laid him. I'm telling you, it matters the way you present yourself to God. We find Mary waiting, we find Mary weeping, but then we find Mary worshiping at that time when she brought that oil and brought that, that box of ointment and begins to pour it at his feet and pour it on him and take her hair, which is a sign of her submission. Are y'all with me? Her glory. The hair in the word of God is the glory of the woman and she is giving her all to Jesus. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying this, the Bible says, submit yourself to God. Y'all with me? Let me read it. James 4, 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Did you notice that he said submit yourselves before he said draw nigh to him? Ruth approaches Boaz and she asks him to spread 
his skirt over her. And what she is saying, he says, I want to come underneath the authority of your house. She's presenting herself as uh, one in interested in asking for him to do the, 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 the Leverite law and redeem her. I want, basically she's saying, I want to be your wife. I want to belong to you. I want more than the handfuls of purpose. I want more than the scraps in the field. I want more than the leftovers. I don't want what's in your hand. I just want you. You know you've changed and you know you've matured in your Christian walk and your Christian relationship with God when you move from wanting what his stuff is to just wanting him. We got Christians running around all the time. Bless me, bless me, bless me. God, give me this. God, give me that. Give me this. Give me that. And, and all he's desiring is somebody just to say, God, just give me you. God, if I'm in a dirt floor, I want you. God, if I'm on a mansion in the hilltop, I just want you. Lord, if I have you, that's enough. And sometimes God has to take us to the point that all we have is him before we'll ever realize that that's all we need. says I want you I want you she presents herself to him and this is so cool it touches Boaz's heart so big so big you see in the field in the field is where she caught his eye but it was at his feet where she caught his heart. She says, I want you. And Boaz looks at her and says, wow. I always wondered about this. Why, why would he say you showed more in the latter than you did in the beginning? Because, see, you, you remember in chapter number number two when, when she says, why are you showing me favor? Why are you showing me kindness? He says, because it's been fully shown me everything you've done for your mom-in-law. Y'all remember that? But now he is saying, what you're doing now is even greater than what you did then. And I thought, why? what's that about? You see, Ruth is a young woman, probably, probably... Uh, very pretty, probably very beautiful. And Boaz is an older man. Boaz is an older man. And, and Boaz says, you could have married any of them young guys. Y'all with me? Stay with me. I'm going somewhere. You could have married any of them young guys, rich or old. But why would she marry Boaz? Because if she had married anybody else, Naomi would have been left in the cold. But if she married Boaz, he would have to buy back and take care of Naomi. 
And that's why he said, you're doing more today than you did before. Listen, the Bible says, I didn't mean to, it's just good. And he said, verse 10, blessed be thou of the Lord. And by the way, she didn't say when he asked her, who are you in the middle of the night? She didn't say, I'm Ruth the Moabitess. She said, I'm Ruth, your handmaiden. Man, you'll get that tonight, about 12 o'clock. I'm glad when we come to God, we're no longer what we used to be. Amen. (laughs) Thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning. Inasmuch as thou followest not young men, whether poor or rich. Now my daughter, this is number three. Now my daughter, fear not. I will do to thee all that thou requirest. For all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous, virtuous woman. What happens? What's number three? The results of intimacy. What happens? What happens when we, we, we draw closer to God? What happens when we move out of wanting His stuff to wanting Him? What happens when we leave the place of a complacent relationship? What happens when we leave that place where we're just satisfied with showing up to church and, and when we leave church, we leave church at church? And we desire him as much on Monday as we did on Sunday. Y'all with me? What happens? First, I want you to write this down. The results of intimacy is this. Assurance. You know what creates a, a deeper sense of intimacy? Security. That's why, that's why you, should never, you should never get intimate with anybody unless there's a ring on the finger. Because there's no sense of security. Guys will tell you they love you to get sex, and women will give sex to get love. And neither one of them work. The greatest intimacy that's ever there is one of security. When you know I can give myself to you because I know you're not going nowhere. I know we're together forever, forever, forever. You know what the coolest part about the virtuous woman? The Bible says the heart of her husband does so safely trust in her. He needeth no spoil. I don't, I don't need any collateral. I don't need anything. I know her. I, I trust her. I'm there. There's no greater feeling than trusting who you're with. And intimacy creates security, and security is there. Say, so look, I'm going to do for you what you're asking. She gets an assurance from the kinsman redeemer. And the redeemer says, whatever you ask, that's what I'm going to do. I couldn't help, I couldn't help but go to John 15. For some reason, the Holy Spirit led me over to John 15 when I was looking at this point. And in John 15, it's all about, you know, it's the story of the vine and the branches and the fruit. Y'all with me? 
Jesus is looking at the disciples teaching them, said, I'm the vine, ye are the branches, ye abide in me, and I abide in you. Ye shall bear much fruit, but if ye abide not in me, you're not going to do anything. Because without me, you can do nothing. And see, this is what we're talking about, abiding with him, walking with him, a close relationship with him. This is not your ordinary Christian walk and your ordinary Christian life. It's going to another level in your Christian walk with him and abiding with him and being close to him. And he said, if you abide in me, ye will bear much fruit. But watch, watch, watch what this verse says. Let's connect this verse with what the Redeemer said in Ruth. The Bible says in John 15, 16, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go forth and bring fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. What does that mean? That means this. What we get is tied to where we are. I'm trying to be dignified. But do you understand the significance of that verse and the significance of what we just read in Ruth? Because of her presentation to him and her closeness to him and that walk she is desiring with him, he says, whatever you ask, I'm going to do it. And God is saying, look, I want you to walk with me. I want you to abide with me. I want you to be close to me. Because when you get close to me, you can ask what you want in my name. And there it is. I don't know why I can't get my prayers answered. It may not be what you're asking. It may be where you're standing. Are you coming to his face demanding? Or are you falling at his feet requesting? How much time have you spent in his presence? How much time have you spent not wanting anything, just wanting to be with him? It may greatly determine what we receive from him. Intimacy brings assurance. Then lastly, this is really cool, guys. This one's really cool. Let's go back to chapter 2 a minute. The Bible says in verse 17. All right, go back to verse 7. Watch this. The, the, the foreman of the field, and we got four minutes, guys. Y'all got to hurry. Or I got to hurry. Uh, the foreman of the field is being asked and interrogated by Boaz. Boaz has just rode up to the field. And he notices Ruth out in the field and says, who is that? Y'all with me? He tells her who it is. It's Ruth the Moabitess. Now watch what he says about her. Then she said, I pray you let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even from the, so she got there early in the morning. Y'all with me? Even from the morning until now. That she tarried a little in the house. I mean, she didn't even hardly take a break. Y'all with me? Verse 17. She gleaned in the field until even. 
beat out that she had gleaned. And it was about an ephah of barley. An ephah is about half a bushel, less than half a bushel. Worked and toiled and sweated in her own power. Even with a little extra blessings. Because see, sometimes God will even bless you when you, well, we don't never deserve it, but when we show enough, don't deserve it. Even with the handfuls of purpose, she got less than half a bushel. But when she just came to his feet and snuggled up to him, before she left, he said, whoa, whoa. Verse 15, also he said, bring the veil that thou hast upon thee and hold it. When she held it, he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her. Over two bushels, almost three bushels. What are you saying? I'm saying this. You can work yourself to the bone in your own power, and you're going to get a little bit. But if you just ever come and snuggle up to it, he will lay it on you. There is a blessing. There is an abundance. There is, listen, a supply from God that I can't even explain to you that's found simply in the worship of God and being close to Him. Are y'all with me? I'm not saying we don't need to serve. I'm not saying we don't need to work. I'm not saying we don't need to do that. But I'm telling you, we are, we are killing ourselves doing stuff because we're not getting the favor of God that we're really desiring and wanting because we're neglecting the time at His feet. We're working in the field. We're killing ourselves in the field. But when's the last time we stopped and spent some time at His feet? Tammy knows how to get something out of me. She can just about get anything she wants from me. Because I really love her. Let me ask you a question. Has it dawned on you lately how much he loved you? And how much he's willing and wanting to do for you? But we're so busy that we're not taking the time to sit at his feet. We're busy being Martha, but we don't have time to be Mary. Basically, the only record we have of Martha was arguing with Jesus. She argued with him when her brother died. She argued with him when they were sitting in the house. And she wasn't a bad person, and she was a Christian. She was a Christ follower. But she neglected the best thing, and that's sitting at his feet. 
There it is, guys. I promise you, the next chapter. Unbelievable. In the first chapter, there's disobedience, departure, death, discouragement, and despair. That's when Naomi was writing the book. But thank God, God writes the last chapter. Most people in here, you had the pen in your hand the first part of your life. But there was a day in your life you turned it over to God. And I sure want to tell you what happens when God writes the last chapter. But I can't, so let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your presence. Thank you so much for your word that speaks truth and life into us. God, we desire a closer walk with you closer walk. I, I, I don't want to be the same tomorrow as I am today. I, I, I want to be closer. There's things I need to do. There's things I need to get out of my life. There's things I need to deal with and I need to, I need to work on. Help us to leave here challenged. Help us to leave here excited about our new walk and our closer walk with you. Lord, there's going to be some people in here that's going to need courage to do the right thing or they'll never, ever go to that place that they can. Please help them. They got to take a step of faith and do right. And Lord, when they do that, it will blow their mind, the blessings that will follow. God, we'll all praise you and thank you. We're going to leave here bragging on you and telling everybody how good a God you are. In Jesus' name we all pray and all God's people say it. Good night, everybody. Good night.